Please record. Okay. Okay. When you push this one down. It, it was disappointing to watch. This one also pushes down in your recording. Okay. Okay. Show me the feeling. That's good. Very okay. easy. Mm -hmm. All right. Welcome to the show. A uh, quick thank you to the two tracks for their musical contributions to the show. Adding the music makes this podcast that much more fun to produce, and hopefully a little more fun to listen to. Um, this week the show is a couple of on-the-road ramblings that I recorded while making deliveries with Fresh Foods Wyoming, which is a part of the Eat Wyoming grant program that seeks to connect the Wyoming agricultural community and gives consumers access to foods from around the state. It's actually a pretty neat program, and I hope to get someone on the show to talk about it before too long. Um, but in the meantime, if you want to check them out, you can go over to their website. It's eatwyoming.com. I've actually got a profile on there um, as a producer, Cackleberry Farm and Garden, of course. And there's a whole bunch of other producers as well. It's kind of a, a neat program, as I said. Um, anyway, there is a slight bit of repetition in the two episodes that I recorded because I initially thought that I didn't really like the first attempt at recording and I was just going to scrap it all together and go with the second half. Um, but on listening through it again, I actually decided it wasn't that bad and it was worth keeping, so it's going to stay there. Um, and I'm going to trim some of the repeti repetitive stuff out of the episodes, but there's going to be a little bit of it left because I think some of it uh, is somewhat new content. Anyway, before we get into the show, let's do a brief sponsorship segment. Now today the sponsor is Amazon.com. I chose to be an Amazon affiliate because I wanted a way that someone could support my content creation without spending money directly on me. And that is exactly what the Amazon affiliate program does for us. Because it enables you to support the show by purchasing stuff you are already going to buy anyway. So yes, you are spending money but it is something you're going to buy anyway, if it's something you're going to buy anyway, then go ahead and go to the podcast website first or the show notes of this episode and follow my Amazon link to make your purchase. When you do this, I will get a small commission for qualifying purchases and you'll be supporting the work that I do and out of the studio. Out of the studio. Anyway, with that, folks, anyway, with thank, that, you folks, much. thank you very um, much. Let's get into um, the show. Let's get into the show. All right, hopefully you can hear me. Uh, we're going to go ahead and try this on the road thing again. This might be a little bit more regular of a um, format for us. And I'm going to go ahead and do the uh, promotional stuff separately when I'm actually back at home in the office. So you've probably already heard anything as far as sponsors go, things of that nature. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? Let's see. So. I wanted to do a little bit 
I'd almost call it a new segment, except for can't really guarantee that I'll be consistent and stick with it, because, well, it's not my forte being consistent. I'm pretty terrible with that. Um, but here's to trying. Here's to trying. Anyway, so a little, the, the new segment, if you will, um, I want to talk about our relation in time to the last frost, first frost, things of that nature. Uh, this might have a little bit of value for homesteaders, gardeners, um, and, and, you know, for some agriculturists as well, if you're starting to look at maybe a new crop or something like that, you know, I'd, for the most part, I'd say if you're in this as a business, uh, you've hopefully done at least enough research that this is kind of old news to you to, to get some of this information, but, you know, maybe it'll prove uh, to some degree valuable or not, because... You know, traditionally, a lot of farmers at least raised a percentage of their own food. Uh, and if that's you and that's the sort of farm and, and farmstead that you're running, then, you know, this could be valuable for you uh, in your home garden in that aspect. So anyway, uh, right now as I record this, we're actually just about an eight weeks until the last frost. Uh, might be as close as seven weeks, according to uh, whoever you listen to on when the last frost date is. I'm considering last frost to be about the first week of June. Uh, according to all the literature, it's about May 26 around here in the Casper area, zone 4B, 4A. Um, but I kind of go about first week of June, because you know, it, it doesn't happen every year, but it's common enough that you'll have a warm spell, and then right at the beginning of June, you know, you'll just have a snowstorm come out of nowhere. And you can definitely cover your gardens to mitigate that, uh, but if you don't, then those those snowstorms in June uh, take out people's gardens an awful lot. So that's what we're considering the last frost when you hear me talk about so many weeks. When you hear this, though, it's probably going to be uh, about seven weeks, in between eight and seven weeks to last frost. So what kind of things are we going to be doing then? Uh, let's start with what I've done so far. Uh, over the last couple weeks, I have forked the garden space in the hoop house. Um, and to describe those different areas, I've got kind of a wood chip garden, back to Eden garden, mulch garden, whatever you want to call it, uh, with some irrigation. And that has just been left alone so far. And then I've got a separate garden uh, that I call the hoop house garden. I'd originally attempted to get a hoop house established over this. I've spent hundreds of dollars on plastic that's just been shredded by the wind and I've kind of given up on that notion for the time being. Uh, we might look at shade cloth or plastic in the future, but for now the hoops are there, uh, the garden layout is there, but the, there's no plastic or anything like that. But that's the hoop house garden. Uh, what I did for layout in the hoop house garden, there's a central path that goes through the center of the hoop so that you have the maximum head clearance and then there's little uh, footsteps that go uh, into the beds from there. So it's almost like two large keyhole beds on each side of the hoop house. Every uh, four feet or so, there's a little pathway that juts into the bed about two foot uh, so that you can reach all the way into and around each bed from one side or another. And then that pathway last year uh, was covered with predominantly sawdust as well as a perimeter around the hoop house garden. Uh, and this year I'm going to do that with wood chips because I think they'll stay put better than the sawdust. The sawdust was definitely good for weed suppression, uh, but it just blew away way too easy. So I, I have forked that soil uh, with the pitchfork, just stuck that into the soil and 
kind of pried back like you would with the broad fork, not trying to, uh, you know, turn the soil or anything like that. Just trying to open it up, aerate it a little bit, get the soil microorganisms uh, waking up a little bit. And the plan was to have some, uh, some compost purchased already uh, and then and then do a layer about one to two inch layer of compost across that entire bed uh, as my new seed bed rather than pulling out a tiller or a tilter um, and, and doing anything to really disturb the soil I'm just gonna cause a little more deposition on top of the soil just throw some more stuff on there uh, the reason that hasn't happened yet is predominantly because I chose to source my compost uh, through custom compost here in Casper and hopefully we'll get them on the on the podcast sometime in the future uh, when, they're, when the time works out for both of us but uh, my reasoning for that is you know I've tried the compost from the dump and I've tried the compost from 71 soil and stone and uh, in the past you know I can't recall if I if I've done anything for Gallus greenhouse it hasn't been a, a large quantity um, but anyway, the, most of the compost I've purchased around here has been kind of sandy in nature by the time it's finished. Um, and some of that is from the composting being done on sandy sites. But some of that's just from, in my opinion, over-finishing the compost. Um, there's this common narrative and when you read about compost and purchasing compost online or anything, uh, you'll hear this quite often where if you're still seeing wood chips in the compost, they'll say it's not finished, it's not good. Uh, there's, you know, it's not good enough compost. I've actually come to where I, I don't really agree with that in my context. So the finer compost where it, you know, it definitely doesn't have any woody debris left in it and it looks completely finished, uh, what I find with that is one, some of that you know, unfinished material as it continues to break down definitely adds some value to the soil. But uh, the largest thing is that the texture and consistency of the compost is so fine that even if it doesn't blow away on you, uh, what you end up with is it dries out on the surface. And when you go to water it, it becomes hydrophobic and it's hard to get it to accept water. When it does accept water, maybe the top inch will get hydrated, but it won't really soak all the way through. And that's just a matter of it being just too fine of a material, in my opinion. I just don't think that having that fine of a material is uh, really functionally effective for the sort of use that I am using it in my context. Now, if you're tilling it in, which a lot of people do, um, then I think there is a good argument for saying that it should be a little more finished should be more fine and not have any chunkiness to it uh, but I, I choose not to do that that's not how I operate my gardens or, or how I work with them so I don't find the very fine uh, over finished compost to be a very high quality product uh, for my use and my context so I, I typically when I get that sort of material I'll actually mix it with my completely unfinished very rough compost from the chicken yard that still has lots of sticks in it, uh, debris, uh, chunks of wood, wood chips, straw, pine shavings, stuff like that, you know. And of course there's some finer material that has broken down mixed in with that. Uh, but having all of that rougher material and then mixing it in with the finished compost 
what it does is it creates a, a more loose and textured compost that one will stay put on top of the soil better when I'm laying it on top of the soil uh, the wind doesn't blow it away as readily and then two uh, all that debris just kind of develops some pathways that water can get in and infiltrate the soil with so I don't have this hydrophobic layer on top um, I end up with these little pathways that water can kind of trickle into the soil with and it just kind of helps the whole area to be a little better hydrated in my experience um, so anyway uh, custom compost he does a static compost pile instead of uh, always turning his piles and then he turns it as he's finishing it so one having a more static pile I, I, I believe from my reading that's going to give you a little more fungal content which is absolutely beneficial for growing your plants uh, maintaining moisture in the soil having good soil health and soil structure uh, to develop good tilth in the soil uh, when you're dealing especially with no-till the tilth in the soil is is heavily dependent on the microorganisms and uh, it is my belief that you get a better tilth with the no-till over time but it certainly helps to have a healthier compost and amendment uh, that you're adding to the soil as opposed to something that's dead but full of nutrients and then allowing the soil to slowly bring that to life uh, you might as well just give yourself as much of a kickstart as you can so that's that's been the biggest thing uh, waiting for that it's just a matter of the weather and the way it was you know he, he's not really quite able to get in his yard right now these things happen that's farming uh, compost farming in his case microbe farming uh, which is kind of what we're all doing but his own little way of doing it I mean, he's producing the microbes of soil so anyway uh, probably by the time this is released you know by the end of the week uh, maybe going into the next week I should be able to purchase some of that compost and try it out and see if it's uh, functionally working better for me I'm, I'm hoping that it will be uh, anyway so that's where that's at if uh, I did have the compost by now because we are sitting at you know the nine to seven week mark until the last frost I would have already had planted uh, my peas direct sowing the seeds on all these crops I'm gonna mention so I would have planted some peas carrots beets turnips mustard lettuce kale uh, probably some broccoli uh, parsley maybe maybe not but parsnips probably um, trying to think of what some of the other things are I mentioned the carrots uh, I actually I like to plant corn this early I like to put it in when it's uh, colder soil temps and kind of let it uh, wake up as the soil temps warm up um, and then but of course if you're if you're beginning to water immediately you might want maybe warmer temperatures um, it's part of part of planting so early is you're allowing the seed to wake up when it sees its time uh, so you don't want to artificially trick the seed into germinating sooner than it should in that case um, Anyway, I probably could have planted corn already because I'm not going to do a lot of that in the hoop house garden. I'm going to do that near it, adjacent to it, uh, in kind of almost native soil. Really uh, abused by the, the chicken operation over the last few years, uh, the layers specifically. Um, but that, that'll happen when I get some time. Uh, what else have I done so far? So. 
uh, when forking that hoop house garden, I also went through and kind of removed some of the surface debris uh, from last year's garden. I like to leave that until spring because it provides habitat for beneficial insects and pollinators and like uh, to get through the winter. Um, there's probably some argument that you might want to leave it until it's a little warmer to pull out. But I don't really fuss over it too much. I just like to leave it in there, you know. It gives the, the roots get to break down in place in the soil to feed the soil a little better. Um, I find it to be a little more beneficial for collecting snow and and uh, soil throughout the winter during you know the stormy season. So I like to leave my debris until spring. Uh, there are a few things that didn't really come out. I'm trying not to uh, pull the whole plant root system when I remove them trying to cut it off the soil surface. I think that would be best done with a flail mower on like a BCS or something. I don't have that. Uh, so I might use, I have like a little uh, Japanese uh, sickle. I might use that to try to cut that soil surface. If I can't get it, you know, I'm not gonna, again, I'm not gonna fuss about it and lose my mind. I'll just pull the root. Uh, but I try to leave what roots in the soil that I can, you know, as long as it's possible. And then, It'll get another inch or two of compost on it, get planted into from there. Uh, I have started to build a wind block fence uh, upwind or directly to the west of that hoop house garden. Uh, the design of fence, I'm trying to do a woven fence for that. I'm kind of surprised at how much material it takes to create a woven fence. Um, but I, I'm gonna have to utilize some from my debris fencing. A lot of that will have to be hydrated before it gets woven in there so it doesn't break so much. But uh, that's So that's what's going on outside. Inside, um, I've already got some starts going that are maybe a week or two old. I've got kohlrabi, broccoli, onion, kale, lettuce. Uh, I don't know if I have any mustard or not. I've got some dill, uh, celery, celeriac, uh, thyme. I think that might be it. And the apple cuttings. I, I took some apple cuttings earlier this year. Those are all inside. And then today I just barely put some eggplant and some pepper uh, seeds into the soil to start sprouting those for later transplants. Now again, today is about the eight week mark until last frost. Um, so that's somewhere between nine and seven weeks is when you do a lot of this. And there's a bit of a two week window here we're not quite so tight on week to week uh, with everything as of yet. And it just kind of depends. This time of year, you know, you might plan to do something on the ninth week and then you have a snowstorm come in. You might plan to do it on the eighth, have a snowstorm. So, you know, a couple weeks of leeway there. It's not really a huge deal. Um, so those are some of the things that you might do in weeks nine to seven. Uh, reading through some of my guide, it's also a good time to plant some fennel, uh, parsley, there's a few other things um, for transplant later. It's not quite tomato time yet, but peppers and eggplants, uh, they take a little longer to get going. I planted uh, four different varieties of eggplants. Uh, I'm going to try to remember them off the cuff here. I did Black Beauty, I did uh, Thai Purple Bush Hybrid, I did early purple long and there's one more and I can't remember it I think it was another hybrid um, 
can't quite remember. Four varieties of uh, eggplant though, and then I had eight varieties of peppers I tried, most of them hot peppers. Uh, the sweet peppers were Chocolate Beauty and that California Wonder uh, that was like a Fairy Morris seed packet. I don't even know how old it was. And then uh, we did some cayenne, some peppers that I got from the uh, Casper's Homestead and Kippy's uh, seed exchange earlier this year where we did, uh, um, you know, basically everybody just brought seeds and they traded gave away seeds and collected seeds, etc. Well, I got some red hot pepper seeds from Matt. That's what they're labeled. They look similar to like a cayenne, maybe. Uh, maybe chili peppers, but those were uh, pretty good. And then I got some Hungarian wax, uh, two varieties of jalapeno, um, a habanero. So a little bit of variety of peppers there. I still got even more seeds. You know, we might choose to plant some later. I don't know. And then I've started hardening some things off. Um, so the things that I mentioned that sprouted a week or two ago, those have been going outside the last two days for 30 minutes at a time. Tomorrow I'll do 30 minutes and then we'll bump it up to probably 45 minutes or an hour uh, following tomorrow, so the day after tomorrow. Um, again, when you hear this, that will be, oh, uh, let's see, uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, about four or five days prior to when you're here. Have a release on Wednesday. Uh, so it appears consistent, even though I'm not consistent. <laughs> Use scheduling to my advantage there. Um, let's see, what else do we do this early springtime? Um, I've moved some compost around in the chicken yard. It's gonna be time to start bulking that up before too long. Definitely need to keep working that. I need to work through uh, what's left of my leaf bags from the fall and get those run through the compost. Uh, I have, let's see, I put some new bedding down uh, in the sheep pen today. So just some wood chips, a truckload of wood chips. Uh, they're actually pretty old wood chips that were pretty broken down. Uh, I had them dropped off in my mom's yard. Um, and then I think I had a truck break down on me, so I didn't get time to pick any up for a while after that. Well, then I got a new truck, and the truck bed's so high up that I just, uh, was not really enjoying lifting the, the wood chips all the way up there. So I was waiting until I got the dump trailer uh, that had a lower bed. Uh, that didn't really happen. Uh, so I just went and got a truckload yesterday. I'll probably end up getting some more and get that out of her out of her driveway. You know, it's not really in the way of the vehicles, but I'm sure it'd be something to appreciate getting out of there. Uh, I did find a horse chestnut seed that was sprouting in there. And I thought that was kind of interesting because I actually wasn't aware that we had a horse chestnut growing anywhere within that neighborhood. Um, and when I say we, I mean the people of Casper. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, it was sprouting. I took it home, put it in the pot, so it'll, it'll grow. I tried growing some last year. The sun just baked them, so we'll just have to see if we can get them to do better in another spot this year. Uh, let's see. What else? What else? What else? That's about it on garden updates. Uh, that was kind of the segment, if you will. Very long and drawn out segment, sorry. Rambling on. Uh, what else do we wanna do today? I don't know, that might be a big subject of the time, I suppose. Yeah. 
I don't know. I don't have a whole lot else um, as far as that goes. So there's your, your 9 to 7 week update until last frost. Again, if you're hearing this, you're sitting at about 7 to 8 weeks update, or 7 to 8 weeks till last frost. If you're in the Casper area, you may be more or less, uh, depending on your location. Uh, but maybe this would just be a little reminder to get started on the garden this year. It's getting into spring, everybody's getting busy, it's getting crazy. Uh, so the more you can do to plan, the better your garden will hopefully do. Uh, and best of luck having a garden that's better than mine. Anyway, uh, Devin out. Alright, there was segment one. Here is segment two. Coming right up. Alright, alright, alright. Howdy folks. This is Devin Olson with the Wyoming Agriculture Podcast. Welcome back to yet another episode of the show. Um, let's see, I'm going to do a little bit of rambling on today. Of course, I'm in a vehicle again. Hopefully you're okay with this sort of episode. Of course, the audio quality isn't there. But I'm going to try to say somewhat on point today. We'll see. I don't have any show notes with me. Uh, one little thing that I wanted to add with this little episode... Uh, when you're hearing this, it is going to be Wednesday, the 14th of April, um, which puts us at about the 9 to 7 week mark before last frost, and that, of course, depends entirely on what you consider the last frost. Um, I tend to consider that about, um, oh, the poor guy's getting arrested, or searched at least. Don't let him search your car, man. That's not good. Um, anyway, <laughs> so wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the last frost. For me, I consider like, I think it's like the first or second week of June I was considering last frost. So I got about eight weeks marked on my calendar. Um, my idea with this segment was to maybe just have a weekly reminder of our relationship to the last and first frost and maybe just chat a little bit about what that means for you as a home gardener or an agriculturist um, of course, as somebody that's perhaps working at a farm level, I would hope that you're well aware of what you ought to be doing. Um, but anyway, just for, for some show info, uh, eight weeks, nine to seven weeks, last frost, somewhere in there. What's going in the ground, what's going outside? Um, for me, I actually, I just planted some corn seeds and I'm trying that uh, with the dry lands, uh, I'll just call it the Indian style of planting. It's it's based off of uh, what some of the Southwest Indians used to do in the deserts near uh, Arizona and such. The sort of uh, planting that they would do. Basically, the idea is you you use a stick and you make a hole about six to twelve inches deep, and you plant six to eight inches deep, excuse me, and you plant anywhere from six to twelve seeds in there. Um, and you're going a little wider spacing than you would typically go with corn, where the conventional uh, recommendation is about two to three inches every foot or so. You're going to probably go every two to three feet or more. And uh, what this does is gets the seed down below the moisture level in the soil. Because, of course, uh, in drier environments, the top two to three inches of the soil is just bone dry by the time the growing season hits. It's not really the best environment for a seed. So you plant a little deeper, 
uh, it maintains a consistent moisture now not all of those seeds have the strength to push their way up through that much soil and actually grow which is why the recommendation is so shallow at two to three inches uh, and that's why you plant half a dozen or more seeds so that your chance of one of them being strong enough is higher for one and secondarily uh, there's a little bit of nutrient sharing going on when uh, one or more of those seeds starts to rot a little bit, but the one that can make it to the surface is able to draw on the energy reserves of those ones that could not, and it uses that to kind of get established. Anyway, so that's what I did. I planted some corn. Uh, in the past, you know, I've actually, I've always kind of liked to plant corn earlier than recommended, and I plant the seed, not a plant, so I'm not transplanting it. Um, that's pretty common. Most people don't recommend transplanting grasses, but uh, I, I like to plant early and let it come up when it's ready, and I tend to find that it actually starts to come up pretty early, you know, about uh, end of April, beginning of May, and then it will, you know, of course, in the vegetative stage, through all of May when, yeah, we still get some snow and stuff, but those short grasses tend to uh, survive that frost quite a bit better than a mature corn plant would. So it gives it a little bit of a kickstart on the season, if you will. Um, it would also be a good time now to start planting your peas, arugula, mustard, turnips, radishes, lettuce, kale, uh, kohlrabi, broccoli, things of that nature, probably some carrots this early. I have not done all that yet. Um, I, I actually tried to record this episode earlier in the week and I just don't really like the way it came out. So, But in that, uh, I'm waiting on some compost is the long and the short of it. So that's that. Um, and that's kind of your short little segment on about eight weeks to last frost. There's your morning. Getting on to what I want to talk about a little bit today. Um, I'm going to call this episode PPPG. Persistence pays pretty good. Uh, that's kind of what I want to talk about. It, it's a saying that I've heard myself from another podcast, but I think it holds true. You know, I was I was reminded today. Um, I got a little notification from a friend in the health freedom movement. Uh, a friend of hers had been working for ten years to get a bill passed in Idaho um, that basically requires. Uh, state to inform parents of, uh, what is it, of exemptions or, yeah, I think of exemptions for vaccines. This is just an update I got, I don't really, you can tell I don't have all the details. Anyhow, um, the whole point of the story is, this mother started fighting for this bill uh, when her eldest was in kindergarten and her eldest is now a teenager. 10 years of consistently pushing to get this change and uh, you know a hell of a lot of effort for a short amount of return is definitely the uh, message of the day when it comes to anything politics uh, but that whole notion that persistence pays pretty good is what that reminded me of Here, here's this lady and of, of course all of her other friends in the health freedom movement in Idaho that have consistently pushed for 10 years and they finally made a little bit of progress and it's that persistence that continuation of pushing that I think made that possible pulling that into farming a little bit more 
imagine, if you will, somebody that thinks they're going to start farming, especially in Wyoming, in their first year, they put all their plants out according to the recommendations of last frost. They wait until after Memorial Day, which is May 28th, they put it out on, say, the 1st of June. Well, a couple days later, four inches of snow falls and kills their whole garden that they just put out. What if they give up? They're probably not ever going to get a crop, even if it's a gardener, let alone a farmer. They're not going to get any sort of crop for their efforts. They just put all that effort in and it was wasted, destroyed by one storm, one weather event. Now imagine that same farmer or gardener deciding that they're going to not put all their eggs in one basket and instead they, uh, they do some succession planting. So that first crop dies and they put another one on the ground a week after the snow melts. They're past the danger of frost now, they think they're doing pretty good. And then midsummer, before they even get a crop, hail comes, wipes out the whole crop. That happens in Wyoming, there's a lot of hail. Now again, if that farmer just gives up right then and there, they got comparatively nothing for all their efforts. Maybe a little bit of a lesson that life is tough and that it's not easy. But that's about it. They definitely didn't get a crop out of that. So what if that same farmer then has half of his plants he's putting under shelter and half of them that he's putting out in the field? Half of them get destroyed by the hail and the half that are in the shelter survive. Then a big windstorm comes up, destroys that shelter, and all the crops that were in that shelter are not hardy for all the wind and they die. And these are all things that could happen all in one season and just completely kick your ass. It, it can't happen. Now if you just give up, you don't get much out of all your efforts except for knowing that you kind of, you learned a little bit, maybe you failed, you know, you sunk some money into something and it didn't work out. And surely there is, there's some value in that lesson what I'm really trying to drive at is the farmer that takes all of those bad experiences in that one year and keeps going, tries again the next year. And maybe he has a lot of the same things happen. Things just kick his ass again, but he learns and he tries again and again. So those farmers and those gardeners that consistently try year after year, challenge after challenge, that eventually have their year that year where everything just goes click, where everything produces in abundance, a bumper crop year. Those years happen not because of great skill or great luck, though some of those things certainly play a role, it happens because of persistence. Every single year and every single day, every single minute, we have an opportunity to push forward and keep trying. And that is the persistence that in the end pays pretty good. Now that's not to say that persistence will take care of all your problems. There's certainly uh, a little bit of hard-headedness that can get into a farmer's head and cause them to sink far too much money into a failing enterprise without examining the figures and making appropriate changes. 
So understand that when I say persistence, I'm not saying stubbornness. I'm not saying an inability or an unwillingness to change yourself or your situation or your enterprise or your operation to fit the changing climate or market, etc. What I am saying is that if you just keep going, that's where you're going to find success. Let's look at it from another way. Imagine an athlete. The first time that athlete, let's say a basketball player, goes out and plays a game of basketball, he probably sucks. Though he might be a smidgen better than I am with all my experience. I'm pretty terrible at that game. But if he goes back the next week or the next day and he tries again, he might find that he's getting just a little bit better, but he still sucks at this and that. And over time, as he continues to work on that, and continues to practice, and practice more, his skill builds on the shoulders of the skill that he built the day before. And that is really the main benefit of persistence. It's not a lottery shoot where you're just going to keep trying until the roulette ball lands in the right spot. That's not why persistence pays so good. Persistence pays pretty good because as you continue to try and try again, you can build on existing experience of yourself and others. It is that cumulative benefit that really helps persistence to pay. So there's just a quick little thought. It's a short episode. This is going to be an hour-long rant. I don't really want to ramble on all day. I just want to leave you with that thought. Keep trying. Just keep working at it. Persistence pays pretty good. All right, folks, there is a splicing together of a couple recordings to make this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and got some value out of it. A uh, quick note or two, about the 21-minute mark or so, I talk about my hardening off strategy. It's currently snowing again, and it's nasty out, so that hardening off schedule is actually on pause, and it will be resumed after the storm system passes. Um, I got up to the one hour per day mark, and then I had to quit for a bit. Um, then I mentioned that this episode would be published Wednesday in the first segment, and then I again said it in the second segment that it was going to be on the 14th to make the show up here consistent. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. It, it's Thursday, so I was almost right, but definitely not quite there. Horseshoes and hand grenades, man. Horseshoes and hand grenades. Uh, and... <laughs> I also, I, I see the irony in the fact that I'm talking about persistence, and I'm a day late getting the show out, and the show has thus far not been very consistent, uh, so maybe I can take my own advice on persistence and keep it a little more consistent. We shall see. Anyway, um, but I did want to remind you that as an Amazon affiliate, you can support me and the work that I do just by following the link in the show notes or on the website to go to Amazon before you do your shopping today. Now whether you do this or not, I do want to offer my sincere gratitude for lending me your ear and listening to the show. May it help you grow your freedom in a time when individual liberty means so much. Thanks again for listening. Now until next time, 
go on and grow on. Yeah.